Good Tuesday morning, I'm Philip Mena. And I'm Francis Rivera. The Democratic National Convention has begun with much of the first night focused on racial justice in America. Now more than ever, we need a president who will unite this country. We need a president who, in George Floyd's memory, instead of using the Bible as a prop, will heed its words to act justly. George should be alive today, so it's up to us to carry on the fight for justice. We must always find ourselves in what John Lewis called good trouble. Together, we must build a nation that is more equitable, more compassionate, and more inclusive. I know that Joe Biden will begin that fight on day the major theme for the evening seemed to be unity. Our Capitol Hill correspondent Tracy Potts joins us now with more of the night's big moments. And Tracy, for a Democratic event, we heard from a whole lot of Republicans. Yeah, Republicans kicking off the Democratic convention. There were four prominent Republicans who spoke on this first night, a couple of former governors, a former member of Congress, and a CEO who ran for governor, all of them making the case for Joe Biden and Senator Kamala Harris as his running mate. Now, we also heard uh, in this first night setting the stage from Senator Bernie Sanders and the keynote for the night, former First Lady Michelle Obama. To everyone who supported other candidates in the primary, and to those who may have voted for Donald Trump in the last election, the future of our democracy is at stake. Donald Trump is the wrong president for our country. He has had more than enough time to prove that he can do the job, but he is clearly in over his head. He cannot meet this moment. He simply cannot be who we need him to be for us. It is what it is. So as you heard, the last four years were really a big theme in those speeches last night. Now looking ahead to today, we're going to hear from former President Bill Clinton, uh, from New York Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and also uh, from Jill, Dr. Joe Biden, uh, the wife of the presumptive nominee. And today will be the official state-by-state -state roll call vote for that nomination. Francis? Tracy, thank you. And our special coverage of day two of the Democratic National Convention begins tonight at 10 Eastern, 7 Pacific. Hours before the DNC begun, President Trump was already on the trail, kicking off a tour in the battleground states of Minnesota and Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a critical swing state for Trump, and he wasted no time attacking Joe Biden. If Kamala and Biden are ever elected, this recovery will come to a total shutdown, to use their word, permanently. For no scientific reason, Biden wants to inflict dramatic harm on millions of Americans with his basement strategy, locking everyone in their homes. Just make sure your vote gets counted. Make sure, because the only way we're going to lose this election is if the election is rigged. Remember that. Joe Biden has been leading in recent polls in Wisconsin. Later today, President Trump will make a stop in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, to check out the storm damage, and then he'll head to Arizona. Our Vaughn Hilliard is in Phoenix, where organizers are working around the clock in 110-degree weather. Vaughn, good morning. Philip, President Trump is coming to Arizona on Tuesday, and while he is actively campaigning in the middle of this Democratic virtual national convention, there are folks on the ground here that are trying to do that work, that legwork, 
on behalf of this Democratic ticket here. We caught up with folks in Maricopa County who, despite it being 114 degrees, were out knocking doors. Part of this coalition that is calling themselves NEAZ, a coalition that are targeting particularly uh, uh, Latino voters and voters under 35, working voters here across Maricopa County. The president is visiting Yuma, where he is trying to turn out uh, particularly that strong Trump support that maybe didn't even come out in 2016, but could help make up for what is anticipated to be an increased number of particularly brown Democratic voters. This is what is at stake here now less than three months out from the general election in Arizona. Philip? Vaughn also working in that sweltering heat out there in Arizona. Vaughn, thank you. As the battle over, the post office continues, so does the president's attacks against mail-in voting. On Monday, he called the process very dangerous. It comes one day after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says she's recalling House members from their break to vote on USPS legislation. This as the new Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, along with the chairman of the Postal Service Board of Governors, are scheduled to testify next Monday before Congress. For more, here's our Peter Alexander. Good morning, Peter. Francis, good morning. President Trump insists that he's pushing to speed up the mail, not slow it down. But policy changes implemented by his postmaster general are doing just that. And this morning, top Democrats are warning the White House is trying to interfere in the election. President Trump is kicking off a week-long campaign swing while escalating his attacks on mail-in voting that election experts widely agree is secure. This universal mail-in is a very dangerous thing. It's fraught with fraud and every other thing that can happen. And we have to be very, very careful. And I want to make sure the election is not stolen. Concerns keep growing over mail delays. These protests in Arizona as the Postal Service has slashed overtime and removed mail processing equipment. Moves it says are designed to cut costs and improve efficiency, but that could slow the delivery of ballots. Now, Democratic attorneys general in at least 10 states are discussing taking legal action. So he's doing everything in his power to try and sow doubt and undermine uh, the vote. And I'm telling you, I will not let him get away with it. Speaker Nancy Pelosi is calling the House back from its August recess to vote on a proposal Saturday mm -hmm. that would direct $25 billion to the struggling Postal Service and roll back recent changes to mail operations. In a letter to Democrats accusing President Trump of a campaign to sabotage the election, the president delivering mixed messages while denying he has anything to do with the slow mail delivery. We want to make sure that the post office runs properly, and it hasn't run properly for many years. But when asked whether cutbacks will have an impact on the delivery of medications or prescriptions... No, no, the post office is running very well. Postmaster General Louis DeJoy has agreed to testify at a hearing next Monday. Demonstrators this weekend protesting outside the Washington home of DeJoy. A Trump ally who's given more than a million dollars to the president's campaign. And as photos emerge that appear to show mailboxes being hauled away, a Postal Service spokeswoman tells NBC News they'll postpone removing boxes for 90 days until after the election while they evaluate customer concerns. Peter Alexander, NBC News, the White House. The pandemic reaches new heights, now becoming the nation's third leading cause of death, just behind heart disease and cancer. Nationwide, nearly five and a half million Americans have been infected. Over the past week, there's been an average of over 51,000 cases per day. The death toll now topping 170,000. And with the fall semester in full swing, one major university changes course after more than 100 new infections. Here's Jay Gray.
On college campuses across the country, the school year starts with parties and problems. I hate to say that I've kind of expected with such large amounts of students interacting in person on campus. The University of North Carolina announcing all undergraduate in-person classes will shift to remote learning with at least four student housing units now dealing with coronavirus outbreaks. At Oklahoma State, 23 have tested positive, quarantined in an off-campus sorority house. And there are at least 45 confirmed cases at Notre Dame. Many of the cases that have been identified at Notre Dame to this point um, all seem to have a common exposure at, at an off-campus gathering. Across the nation, the numbers continue to climb. Now, more than 5 million cases and more than 170,000 deaths. Scientists at Yale University have developed a new testing procedure, the Food and Drug Administration granting emergency use authorization for Saliva Direct, an inexpensive saliva-based test that can be self-administered with results available in less than 24 hours. This is one of the most significant advances in the six months we've been living with coronavirus. An important new weapon in a fight against the virus that most agree is still far from over. Jay Gray, NBC News. In California, 51 million people are under heat alerts as hot weather fuels wildfires there. Death Valley hit 130 degrees. That's the hottest temperature recorded on Earth in 89 years. On Monday, California's governor signed an emergency order to reduce power disruptions during the heat wave. And in Arizona, a new video of a dust storm Sunday south of Phoenix shows vehicles driving through zero near zero visibility with the sky turning that dramatic color of orange. Could it possibly get any hotter? Let's check in now with NBC meteorologist <laughs> Janessa Webb. Good morning, Janessa. It possibly could, you know, 2020 has thrown some loops here. Right now, I just looked at the forecast for Death Valley. It's currently 95 degrees. So people in that area are really having a hard time cooling off. It will jump up to 125 for today. We're also seeing records across Phoenix to Tucson, 113 for daytime highs. The feel like temperature going to be near 120. And that will continue to spark up the fire danger. Red flag warnings with fire watches combined with relative humidity it's now down to seven percent also going to see some wind gusts up to 25 miles per hour that's a look at the big weather story of the day here's a closer look at your day ahead So across the south and southeast, temperatures still very steamy. Humid conditions across uh, New Orleans into Tampa today with a few showers. We're talking about 100 degrees for Boise, Salt Lake 104. But seeing a big time break in the northeast, I'll show you all that coming up. Nice. All right, Janessa, thanks. Hope the weather cooperates because SpaceX is preparing to launch 58 more of its Starlink satellites into orbit. The Falcon 9 rocket is scheduled for liftoff at 1031 a.m. Eastern from Cape Canaveral, weather permitting. Today's launch will mark the 91st flight for the Falcon 9 and the sixth record sixth launch for its reusable first stage. So far, the company has put nearly 600 Starlink satellites into orbit, which will be used to beam high-speed Internet to anywhere in the world. There has been a major crack in the unsolved murder case of Run DMC's Jam Master Jay. After nearly 18 years, U.S. prosecutors say they have indicted two men for the shooting death of Jam Master Jay, whose real name was Jason Meisel. The 37-year-old music legend was killed inside a recording studio in New York City in 2002. 
Prosecutors identified the alleged suspects as Ronald Washington and Carl Jordan. Authorities allege the two men entered Jay's 24-7 studio in search of 10 kilograms of cocaine. The indictment alleges that it was Jordan who delivered the fatal shot that killed Jay. Texas police say they fatally shot an armed man inside a Walmart in the lower Rio Grande Valley of South Texas. The deadly police encounter happened Monday afternoon. Authorities say the suspect, who was dressed in all black, carried an assault-style rifle into the store. Then police say the suspect began arguing with the customer and the store was evacuated. Officials say they shot the man after he drew a handgun and exchanged fire with police and deputies. No other injuries were reported. The Trump administration overturned six decades of protections for a stretch of wilderness in Alaska, approving an oil and gas leasing program within an Alaskan wildlife refuge. That refuge is home to animals like polar bears and caribou and what's believed to be billions of barrels of oil. The oil and gas drilling will take place in the wildlife refuge's uh, coastal plain and and that spans about one and a half million acres. In New Orleans, one pastor is using a combination of humor and scriptures to get parishioners to social distance. Pastor Ray Kanata of Redeemer Presbyterian Church hung up these signs. So they say things like, Jesus sat the 5,000 down in rows, but not this one. And you will find me when you seek me, just not in this pew. Keep seeking. Well, the pastor says he just wants to make people smile, and I'm sure he's doing that, too. Yep. Yeah, good pastor, right? Entertaining, you Creative. can tell. That's right. In today's Quick Hits, SNL cast favorite Kenan Thompson will fill in for Simon Cowell as a judge for tonight and Wednesday's episodes of America's Got Talent. Thompson will join Sofia Vergara, Heidi Klum, and Howie Mandel at the judging table as Cowell recovers from major back surgery. Elon Musk is now officially the fourth richest person in the world. This milestone comes after Tesla's shares rose by 11% on Monday, which boosted the entrepreneur's net worth by around $8 billion. Musk is now worth almost $85 billion. That's just $15 billion bucks short of Mark Zuckerberg. And soccer, soccer's Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup has been canceled due to the pandemic. This is the first time the Open Cup has been canceled in over 100 years. And not a Wall Street where the coronavirus is having a deep impact on deep dish pizza and also home mortgage delinquencies. Here to explain, NBC, CNBC's Juliana Tattlebaum watching it all from London. Good morning, Juliana. Good morning, Philip. Well, let's kick off with what we're seeing in the mortgage market. Federal Housing Administration mortgage delinquency rates have hit the highest level in at least four decades. These are affordable mortgages, typically the path that first-time home buyers would use to accessing a mortgage, as well as minorities and lower-income Americans. The delinquency rate for these types of mortgages has hit 16% in Q2. That is it compared to 6.7% for conventional loans. So this just goes to show the difference, the disproportionate impact that the crisis is having on different parts of the economy. Now, you mentioned uh, the uh, the changes that we're going to see to the pizza world. Pizza Hut will be closing up to 300 franchises operated by a bankrupt franchisee, NPC International. They will be also putting the remaining 927 Pizza Hut locations up for sale. The company filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in early July. The closing Pizza Huts are the ones that have been underperforming. Back to you guys. That's a staple of a lot of people's childhood there. All right, Juliana, thank you.
More than 10,000 residents have been left stranded by massive mudslides in northwest China. Heavy rainstorms triggered these slides, which turned streets into fast-moving rivers, and it washed away vehicles and bridges. There were reports of some residents waiting on top of the roofs to be rescued. Right. There's that extreme heat so many are dealing with. Janessa's back with more on that. Janessa, hi again. Hey, good morning to you. The Pacific Northwest really going to be dealing with that extreme heat throughout the afternoon. But if you're across the northeast, you're going to see an abundance of sunshine. And we're talking about temps back in the upper 70s to mid 80s. As school districts grapple with reopening safely, some are finding solutions by thinking outside the box. Here's Jeff Bennett. As schools across the country scramble to reopen safely, the Mater Amoris School in Montgomery County, Maryland, has found a solution in its own backyard. It's moving all fall classes outdoors. The data shows that being outdoors drastically decreases the chances of transmission. Rolling hills, a wooded trail. Alicia Davis Enright is head of school, serving children ages 2 to 12. Armed with a master's degree in public health, she weighed reopening options and concluded outdoor schooling was the safest, pointing to studies that indicate coronavirus transmission rates are lower in outdoor settings than in indoor settings, especially when combined with social distancing. To prepare for the coming year, Enright and her staff created model outdoor classrooms with small tents and tables. Larger ones are on the way. Tents will stay open at all times to allow for maximum air circulation. Occupancy will be limited to no more than 15 students, and children will wear masks. Outdoor education during a pandemic isn't new. It was common during tuberculosis outbreaks. Denmark has already pushed many classes outside. Now a small but growing number of U.S. schools are embracing outdoor schooling, including Charlestown Playhouse, a preschool and kindergarten near Philadelphia. The school plans to stay outside until the end of the year and has asked parents to dress children accordingly. There is no bad weather, um, only bad clothing, and we've shared with the families that their children need to be dressed for the weather. Eric Miller is sending his two daughters to the school. They can build things, they can dig holes, they can play with bugs. My kids always are better behaved after a day outside than they are after a day inside watching the iPad. In our very computerized world, sometimes we need to realize that um, the safer, better place is in open air. Educators excited to bring students a classroom that takes learning outside the box. And teachers at that Maryland school tell me they're excited for the coming academic year. Enrollment at both schools has more than doubled. Jeff Bennett, NBC News. You have no choice but send them outdoors, and it looks fun. As long as you have the space and the weather holds up. Going to be a problem for so many others once weather turns again. You're watching NBC News Now. We've got some breaking news. If they do go back to their jobs, they want to make sure that they are protected. It's news made for your streaming world. Live weekdays starting at 6 a.m. Eastern. Donald Trump is the wrong president for our country. He has had more than enough time to prove that he can do the job, but he is clearly in over his head. A big first night at the Democratic convention with a powerful lineup of speakers, but President Trump hit the road to counter-program the competition. 
House Democrats rush back to Washington to address the U.S. Post Office crisis as the president calls universal mail-in ballots very dangerous. Coronavirus is now the third leading cause of death in the United States. And as cases rise, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill is sending all students home after one week. And a major break in the cold case of the murder of Run DMC's Jam Master Jay. Early today starts right now. Glad you're with us. I'm Francis Rivera. And I'm Philip Mena. The virtual Democratic National Convention has begun. Many of the opening night speakers focused on racial justice in America. Now more than ever, we need a president who will unite this country. We need a president who, in George Floyd's memory, instead of using the Bible as a prop, will heed its words to act justly. George should be alive today, so it's up to us to carry on the fight for justice. We must always find ourselves in what John Lewis called good trouble. Together, we must build a nation that is more equitable, more compassionate, and more inclusive. For more on the big moments from night one, here's NBC's Alice Barr. We the people. The Democratic National Convention kicking off with the theme of party unity even though delegates and speakers are scattered across the country. What better way to gather than all across America? Without the cheering crowds, Democrats hope their message will stand on its own, drawing a sharp contrast between running mates Joe Biden and Senator Kamala Harris and the current administration. Michelle Obama, the immensely popular and influential former first lady, making the case that her husband's vice president is ready to lead. I know Joe. He is a profoundly decent man guided by faith. He knows what it takes to rescue an economy, beat back a pandemic, and lead our country. One-time rival Bernie Sanders trying to win over his own supporters for Biden, arguing President Trump is dangerous. In an unconventional move, several Republicans speaking out against the Trump presidency. It's a path that's led to division, dysfunction, irresponsibility, and growing vitriol between our citizens. Governors Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan and Andrew Cuomo of New York zeroing in on fighting the coronavirus pandemic. Leadership matters, and it determines whether we thrive and grow or whether we live or die. Biden himself making a pop-up appearance in a conversation on racial justice. I may be kidding myself, but I think the people are ready. I think people are ready. We just got to keep pushing. We can't let up. Biden and Harris setting the tone on night one of the convention, seeking to pull their party together for the fight ahead. In Washington, Alice Barr, NBC News. Her special coverage of day two of the Democratic National Convention begins tonight at 10 Eastern, 7 Pacific. President Trump seemed to follow along by retweeting criticisms of some of the DNC speakers, but during the day, he was back on the campaign trail, speaking to supporters in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Democrat-controlled cities have shown that Democrats plan and what they plan for America. If left-wing Democrats can't run a city, why on earth would you let them run your country? We have such... President Trump is expected to travel again today. He will visit Cedar Rapids, Iowa to tour storm damage before holding campaign events in Arizona. We are now 77 days out from the election.
distinguished group. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Congratulations to everybody. You wouldn't be bigger than you think when you do something which I think you'll be very happy with, which nobody knows. Good morning, everybody. Thank you very much for being with us. This is a big day in many ways, many, many ways. The First Lady and I are delighted to welcome the members of Women's Suffrage Centennial Commission to the White House to celebrate the 100th anniversary of women securing the right to vote. That's something. I want to thank the Commission members who have worked tirelessly for three years to tell the very powerful story of America's suffrage on America's suffrage movement. Uh, I'd like to uh, introduce the women uh, that have done such an incredible job for a long period of time. Uh, Jovita Carranza, SBA Administrator. Jovita. Hello, Jovita. She's the biggest banker in the world right now. <laughs> Even though it's a small business, it's a big business, right? Kay Cole James, President of the Heritage Foundation. Thank you very much. Anna Lehman, Executive Director of Women's Suffrage Centennial Commission. Thank you very much. Good. Great job. Oh, you're going to be so happy in a little while because we're giving you a very special treat that you don't know about. Even you don't know about it, you know everything, you people. Cleta Mitchell, attorney, former member of the Oklahoma House of Representatives, a great attorney, I might add. Yes. Beyond beyond an attorney, a great attorney, okay? I know that for a fact. Thank you, Clinton, very much. Marjorie Dannenfelser, president of the Susan B. Anthony List. And you are going to be so happy in about seven minutes, you won't even believe it. Karen Hill, CEO of the Harriet Tubman National Historic Park. Congratulations. Great, great job you do. Penny Nance, President of the Concerned Women of America. Heather Higgins, President of Independent Women's Voice. Thank you, sir. Thank you, congratulations. Deborah Steidel-Wall, Deputy Archivist of the United States. That sounds like a very big job. That's a lot of archives, isn't it? <laughs> How many buildings does that take up, right? Great, great job. They do a great job. Thank you very much. Colleen Shogan, Deputy Director, National and International Outreach for the Library of Congress. That's another big one, right? That's great. Congratulations. That's beautiful. Susan Combs, Assistant Secretary of Policy Management and Budget at the Department of the Interior. Thank you very much, Patricia. Thank you all very much. Today I'm honored to sign a proclamation celebrating August 18th, 2020 as the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. In the summer of 1848, Elizabeth Cady Stanton stood before the first ever Women's Rights Convention in Seneca Falls, New York, and declared that women should enjoy this fundamental civil right. What a job she did. Seven decades later, the suffrage movement succeeded. 
On this day in 1920, the United States ratified the 19th Amendment. It was a monumental victory for equality, for justice, and a monumental victory for America. Today, a record-breaking 131 women are serving in Congress. Nearly 70 million women vote in elections. 56% of our nation's college students are women. More than 11 million women own successful businesses. In other words, women dominate the United States. I think we can say that very strongly. Before the China virus set in and struck our nation, women had gained 4.3 million jobs, a record. The women's unemployment rate had plummeted to the lowest level in more than 65 years. And last year, over 70% of the new jobs went to women. And I will say we're coming back very strongly, and we're going to see those numbers again very soon. But the numbers that we have for unemployment and employment, frankly, we had 160 million people working. We've never even been close to that. And by next year, we'll be even higher than that number. Tremendous things are happening. As we fight to deliver a better future for all women and for all Americans, we remember the wonderful victory one century ago. While I am president, America will always honor its heroes, and we will always celebrate the patriots who secured women's right to vote. So this is an incredible document that I'm signing. And I wanted to just add something, because this was brought up a week ago, and I was so surprised that it was never done before. Because later today, I will be signing a full and complete pardon for Susan B. Anthony. She was never pardoned. Did you know that? She was never pardoned. And you know that she got a pardon for a lot of other women, and she didn't put her name on the list. So she was never pardoned. And we're uh, for voting. That's right. That's right. She was guilty for voting. And uh, we are going to be signing a full and complete pardon. And I think that's really right? So thank you all very much. And let us sign, and we'll do the other signing later on. It's being prepared right now. And I look forward to doing it. Thank you very much. Please.
Is that something that you will be told? Well, we'll talk about that later. We will talk about that. Uh, the Democrats want to make it a political issue. It's not a political issue. It's really about a correct vote. You have to get voting, voting right. You can't have millions and millions of ballots sent all over the place, sent to people that are dead, sent to dogs, cats, sent everywhere. This is a serious situation. This isn't games, and you have to get it right. I just want to get it right. We'll lose or draw. I think we're going to win. Win, lose, or draw, we have to get it right. So they're bill? Well, they're going to do something in Congress, but everything they do is political. As an example, what are they doing now instead of on Monday? They picked a day, actually. They picked another day on Monday, as you know. Well, that's when the Republican convention starts. What are they doing during the Democrat convention? Because everything they do, Nancy and Chuck, they play games. How's it working out? I think this is the White House, isn't it? How's it working out for them? Not so good. So I, I will tell you, uh, it's disgraceful. It's disgraceful. We have to have honest voting. That's what this is all about here. It's honest voting. You can't take millions of ballots, send them haphazardly all over the country or all, all over a state, and expect to come out properly. And if you look at the last 10 elections where they did this universal, and by the way, absentee is great. It's been working for a long time, like in Florida. Absentee, you request, and it comes in, and then you send it back. Absentee is great, but universal is going to be a disaster, the likes of which our country has never seen. It'll end up being a rigged election, or they will never come out with an outcome. They'll have to do it again. And nobody wants that, and I don't want that. Um, go ahead, please, let's talk about the subject, however. Although, indirectly, we're probably talking about the same subject, wouldn't you say, Cleta? Yes. Cleta's an expert on this. I've never even asked. He's one of the great attorneys in Washington. 
Uh, do you have an opinion on it? And if it's not my opinion, please don't say it. <laughs> come, come on up here, I, and, and I must say, very interesting. Well, I do, I do have an opinion. The president is right. Uh, one of the things that the Democrats and their allies in the media and the left have been trying to do for a long time is to have universal mail voting, where, where election officials send ballots to everybody on their registration list. Well, we all know there have been multiple studies, the Pew study, millions of people are on the rolls who are no longer living there, they're dead, they're non-citizens. Don't forget, when you go to the DMV or social services, they ask you, they're supposed to, by law, they have to ask you to register to vote, whether you're eligible or not. All of those registrations are dumped into the system, and so there are duplicates. Uh, I am chairman of a, a public interest legal foundation. We're devoted to election integrity. And we just did a study of Allegheny County, Pennsylvania. We found one man with seven active registrations. If you send him seven ballots, he, it, there's the potential to vote seven times. He will. So the, the issue is, the, I actually have a memo I'm working on to give to the uh, president about what the post office should be doing. They should be working with local election officials. They should be making sure that the ballots are designed in a way that processes properly through the voting equipment, through the uh, uh, post office equipment. That was, it, it, everybody is focused on this situation when somehow the postal service, the, the president is somehow trying to do something to the postal service. I defy anyone in this room to be able to name a single, all of us can name multiple times when we sent a letter across town and it either didn't get there or came back three months later undeliverable to a correct address. So we know that the president is not responsible for the problems of the post office, but there are things the Postal Service should do in conjunction with election officials and they should do those now and make sure that the systems are in place to properly process the, the ballots that are uh, sent by mail. But the problem is that we are facing hundreds of lawsuits that have been filed by the Democrats and leftist organizations to force states to not have polling places. I personally believe that it's still, uh, we should have election day, we shouldn't have election three months, and for sure we ought to be able to know by election night who won. So Mr. President, you're 100% right, and there are a lot of us who are standing behind you and want to help. Thank you, I'll give you that letter if you could. From you, I'll take it. She's really one of the great lawyers. Thank you very much, and I'll wait for it. Can I add to the, the question before yes, about please. women? Um, there are a lot of issues where what the president is doing, talking about public safety, which is increasingly a concern for women as they see what is going on, but also policies that he's taken. So. He, the president has done extraordinary things on health care. His executive order requiring price transparency, that is an issue that is 88% popular across the country, across party affiliations, across ideologies, across demographics. Among women who are 40 and under, it's a 98% approval issue. Without this president being reelected, that executive order goes away because Congress hasn't yet made it into a law because it goes into effect in January of 2021. So this, is a, this has historically been the number one, if not the top three issues in the country. And this is the only person who's going to bring price transparency, which can bring down healthcare costs by 40%, revealing what the true prices are of your hospital or your insurance before you have to pay for it, so you can shop 
or other people will shop and that will drive down prices. Enormous issue for this cohort. So women care about a lot of things. It's so nice that you say that because they don't speak about it, but transparency is a very controversial issue because uh, doctors don't like it and frankly hospitals don't. The good doctors love it and the good hospitals love it. Doctors and patients love it, hospitals, insurers, PBMs, which are the wholesalers that control the pharmacies, right. and pharma, they all have lobbyists all over Washington trying to stop what the president is doing. I've had many people that are really expert at it. They say it's a bigger issue than healthcare itself. It'll save so much money and it's, it's the full deal. I signed it, it's done. It goes into effect on January 1st. And you're right, if the Democrats get in, they'll probably try and end it. And what a shame that would be, because it was so hard to get it done, and it will save people massive amounts of money. I'm not talking about 1% or 2%. The other thing we just did, you probably heard, is I signed a favored nations clause on drugs, because we have countries in the world, Germany and others, but we have many countries in the world that pay a tiny fraction, I don't mean like 2% less, 10% uh, versus what we pay. You have a bill that will sell for 10 cents in a certain country in Europe that will sell for two and a half dollars in this country. And it's so unfair to our people. And I signed a favored nations clause and the drug companies are spending millions and millions of dollars trying to get me not elected. And all it means when you see ads from drug companies, all it means is one thing, the drug prices are gonna be coming down 50, 60, 70% and they never thought anybody would do that. I also signed a rebate clause. So the rebate money, instead of going to the middlemen, who among the, the richest men of this country, and men and women, I guess, uh, in this country by far, the middleman. The middleman makes more money than the uh, people that produce. At least the drug companies produce something. But I signed where the rebate goes to the people. And there's never been anything like this. And as a non-politician, I can do it. And I will tell you, I was called by a lot of politicians that I was surprised at, literally begging me not to do it. Please don't do it, please don't do it. And because, you know, the uh, big pharma is by far the number one lobbyist paying group in the country, and people are loyal to big pharma, and I'm all for big pharma, but uh, this is a tremendous, uh, this will be a tremendous drop. So between, between transparency and what I just did with respect to favored nations, that means if, Germany pays 10 cents, and we're paying $2.50, we go down to 10 cents. That's a number that nobody's even thought of. And what will happen is they'll have to pay more, and we're gonna have to pay much, much less. Like, numbers, and it could be 70, 80%, so we're not talking about games. And nobody had the courage to sign it. A lot of people didn't even know about it. A lot of people, so I appreciate very much you saying, but, and it may be that transparency is even more important than that. I think it is, because transparency is the basis for markets, and that's the basis also for trust. Right now, you can't, you don't have the right to know what something costs before you buy it. If airlines followed the same model as hospitals and insurers do, you wouldn't know the price of your airline ticket right. until after you landed, because they don't know how full the flight's going to be. They don't know how much gas they're going to have, fuel they're going to have to spend. So, but every other business manages to do their average pricing. Hospitals know their average prices. That's how they sell so quickly when there's when somebody's buying a hospital. Right. They're just not sharing it's it. So after the fact it's so great. It's so great. Let's see, voters. Oh, well, that's interesting. So this is the historical session. Jimmy no, Kimmel wants to make fun of this again. <laughs> no, but did I tell you that? No, I think it's great that you're doing. We're talking about something that you know a lot about, and it does pretend. It does really. Uh, 
pretend to exactly what you're doing. I think it's true. You know, we did uh, one other thing that is so important. Pharmacies, they didn't have to give any information. You go in for a pill, and the pharmacy gives you this crazy price, and you can't price it, you can't go around, you can't do anything. I, I ended that practice. I said, what do you mean, you can't negotiate? You didn't even have the right to negotiate. I ended that, and was met with a hail of storm. Everything I do, I get met with a hail of storm. But you know what, I do the right thing. I do the right thing for the people. I don't need big pharma. They don't help me. Uh, they help a lot of other people, but they don't help me. I'm doing the right thing for the country. And let's see whether or not people realize that they're spending millions and millions of dollars on negative ads on me. And you see, it's big pharma. Unlimited money. I mean, they have so much money. They have unlimited money. And uh, let's see. I think when people see big pharma taking ads on me that I'm such a bad person, what it means, and I hope they understand that, it means drug prices are going down. Caitlin, go ahead. Do you want to respond to Michelle Obama's speech last night where she said that you're in over your head and the wrong president? Yeah, no, she was over her head. And frankly, she should have made the speech live, which she didn't do. She taped it. And it was not only taped, it was taped a long time ago because she had the wrong deaths. She didn't even mention the vice presidential candidate uh, in the speech. And, you know, she gets these fawning reviews. If you gave a real review, it wouldn't be so fawning. I thought it was a very divisive speech, extremely divisive. Uh, we have a tremendous amount of enthusiasm for my campaign because of things like we're talking about now, drug prices and drug cuts and a transparency with hospitals and doctors that are going to lower bills by 50%, 70%. You're talking about numbers that are incredible. Uh, there's a procedure, I won't mention what it is, but there's a procedure where one hospital was charging $2,500, another hospital was charging $32 for the exact same procedure using the exact same kit, and the people weren't able to go around and even have that option. And it was the exact same, in fact, we did a study and the one for $32 actually did a better job, okay? How about that? $2,500, $32, and the cheap one did a better job using the exact same stuff. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about numbers that are incredible. No, I thought her speech was very divisive. And frankly, I wouldn't even be here if it weren't for Barack Obama. See, we're standing in the White House. I wouldn't be in the White House except for Barack Obama because they did a bad job, Biden and Obama. And if they did a good job, I wouldn't be here. I'd be building buildings someplace and having a good time. You compared your response to coronavirus to their response to the H1N1. But the well, they have very bad reviews. If you look at the Gallup poll, Gallup poll did a review of them. Now, you have to understand, that was a far lesser uh, vicious disease. It was not the same yeah, in the same ballpark. But let me, yeah, yeah, I know. It's also a much lesser disease. But they got very bad reviews. Gallup gave very bad reviews. And by the way, Gallup at that same time gave us very, very good reviews for the job we've done. So if you take a look at the Gallup poll from a couple of months ago, we got very good reviews and they got very bad reviews. They were, they were I mean, the reviews they got for the handling of swine flu or H1N1, which Biden calls N1H1, and I don't even correct him on that. I don't even correct him. I said, well, that's a mistake you can make, but that's what he calls it. He's got, the, he's got it a little mixed up, but that's all right. Take a look at the Gallup poll, and there were others too. They got horrible marks. 
And that disease is a much lesser problem. Okay. Do you support protesters in Belarus? And do you have a message? Do I support protesters and terrorists? Belarus. Oh, I thought you said protesters and terrorists. And do you have a message for Macedon regarding potential military innovation? Yeah, you have to understand me. I like seeing democracy. Democracy is a very important word. It doesn't seem like it's too much democracy there in Belarus, uh, but we are speaking to lots of people, and we'll be speaking at the appropriate time to Russia, and we'll be speaking to other people that are involved, but it's certainly a very big march, and it seems to be a very peaceful march, other than the, other, unlike some of the so-called peaceful protests that we have where they burn down stores, okay? Peaceful protests, those are not peaceful, those are anarchists going over to Portland and other places. These are anarchists, agitators, these are very bad people. But uh, it seems to be very peaceful, and it's a peaceful protest, and I do. I support democracy. Okay, any other question? Um, we're here with female supporters. When you speak- well, supporters. These are just people that are outstanding people. Some support people. This is a bipartisan. Some, that's right, this is very bipartisan. Some were appointed by people that I don't get along with so well. Okay, I won't say who, because I happen to like you all. I happen to like you all, so what can I do? When you speak to the suburban housewives of America, what do you what do you view as the suburban woman voter? Is the suburban woman voter a suburban housewife, or is there more in your a very assessment? fair question, a great question, actually. Look, I view it very strongly that the suburban voter, the suburban housewife, women and men living in the suburbs, they want security and they want safety. They don't want to have a lifetime of working hard and buying a house. And by the way, 30% of the people living in suburbia are minority groups. African American, Hispanic American, Asian American, they're minority groups. They don't want to have their American dream fulfilled and then have a low-income housing project built right next to their house or in the neighborhood. They don't want it. That's not part of the deal. And I terminated that. And I think that the suburban housewife, as you say, and I think that women and men living in the suburbs who fulfill their American dream, or at least got a big part of it, they now live in a safe, beautiful area. They don't want to have people coming in and forcing low-income housing down their throats. And you know what? People can say I'm a bad person for doing that, or they can say I'm a good person. But I think that suburban women very much appreciate what I did. I terminated it. This has been a hot issue for before President Obama, but he took it to a new level, and Biden is going to take it to yet another level. In fact, they say that Cory Booker, there's another beauty, that Cory Booker is involved. And if Cory Booker's involved, nothing good is gonna happen. It's very unfair to suburbia. Men, women, husbands, housewives, whatever you wanna say, it's very unfair. And I think it's a very important issue, and I think they respect very much what I did, and nobody else would have had the guts to do it. Thank you all very much. We'll be signing for Susan B. Anthony, the full pardon, very, very soon. Thank you very much.
Thank you very much, everybody. See you in a little while. Thank you. You're watching NBC News Now. We've got some breaking news. If they do go back to their jobs, they want to make sure that they are protected. It's news made for your streaming world. Live weekdays starting at 6 a.m. Eastern.